want to see what life is like inside the bottle. Jen's Playground has its own website and Facebook fan page. Go to www.jensplayground.com for more details. I'm sorry. On behalf of Jen's Playground, so we would also like to provide an apology for any content that might have been considered inappropriate. It is not, nor was it ever our intention, to offend our listeners. From this point forward, Jen's Playground makes a pledge to provide wholesome, family-friendly entertainment, without profanity. Again, we offer our sincerest apologies, and promise that it will never happen, again. Let's get this shit started! Yeah, where my dogs at? Get your drinks up, your joints up! Ladies, pull your tits out! Come on! Wait a second. What don't you give? <laughs> Episode 24. Always keeping it dirty. Always keeping it salty. And always keeping it real. Now we have a lot that's happened since the last episode, so let's forego any dilly-dallying and move the chips right into the middle. Do you want to talk numbers? Let's talk numbers. 5,280 feet. 841 competitors. 179 PTQ grinders. 128 Day 2 Savages. 32-ounce Red Bull and Vodkas. 24th episode of The Playground and 1.21 gigawatts of power. That's right, the Star City Games 30K landed in Denver this past weekend. The Star City Games 30K was indeed the largest magic event ever held in the Mile High City, and we all had a hell of a time. Now, I know you're probably thinking, what? 30K, what the fuck? Uh, wasn't there like a, a Grand Prix or something in Denver? Well, not that we could tell. From the moment you walked in, your senses were invaded with the overabundance of Star City Games branding and propaganda. I mean, check this out. I mean, you had judges and staff running around in these obnoxiously bright blue Star City Games shirts. The Star City Games vendor booth was three times the size of any of the other vendors there. The entirely too-tall event sign-up booth was plastered in bright blue Star City Games feces. I mean, guys, you know, I, I know that you have a bit of a god complex, but how about lowering that bitch down to 18 feet from the ground? I mean, I'm a tall guy, but I mean, even I felt like mini-me staring up at Tim Duncan. The active event tables were coincidentally snug tightly against the Star City Games vendor booths, so that all of the tournament players were as close to them as possible. You know, the remaining vendor tables were all on the outside, as far away from the action and the players as you could possibly get. I also found it kind of amusing that the Channel Fireball vendor table was placed clear across the, the other side of the room, as far away from Star City Games as they could logistically put them. True story, true story. When you signed up for the main event, they handed you your foil maelstrom pulse, along with a Star City Games Gazette magazine. You know, one of my buddies signed up and told them, you know, uh, thanks, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't want this magazine. And then was immediately told, oh no, you better hold on to it. When he asked why, he was told, well, hang on to it just in case we need to verify that you paid for your entry. 
Yes, because you couldn't borrow that magazine from someone else and just show it to them. Or pick up a free copy from their vendor booth. Or scoop one out of the garbage where the majority of these magazines went. You know, they gave out Star City Games deck boxes to all the players. Hell, even on the electric sign for the event's hotel, it read, Welcome Star City Games, instead of, Welcome to Grand Prix Denver. And then you had these god-awful gray Star City Games t-shirts that people were wearing. I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, are, are you going to actively go out and buy a t-shirt that has Walmart on the front of it? Verizon Wireless? What about McDonald's? Have a t-shirt with the golden arches on the front with I'm loving it on the back? No, 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 no. I'm just calling it like I see it. This was a Star City Games 30K. But this whole weekend actually began for me on the Wednesday before the event. Uh, we, we assembled the battalion over at Enchanted Grounds for some sealed deck practice and discussion. You know, building sealed decks properly with this particular set was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, it was interesting watching players gather around a card pool and watch them put cards in, take cards out, and all the while discussing why they are doing what they are doing. Now, the one thing I took away from these practice sessions was that you could open up a sealed pool, give that pool to eight different people, and chances are very likely that you're going to get eight different types of builds. Now, I think the, the reasons for this are twofold. You know, you have a set that is inherently difficult to evaluate in terms of limited play, and then you have the players that don't make things any easier. You know, they're, they're going to tend to have their own opinions as to what is good and what's bad, and those viewpoints are always different. You know, where I might value a card low, you can bet that there's a player that values that card higher. You know, and to make matters worse, the values of cards, they, they seem to fluctuate depending on what kind of deck you were playing it in. I think when you sit down and you, you test a format, regardless of its, if, if it's standard or limited, I don't think you can truly go into things objectively if you are holding on to absolutes. And what I mean by that is, uh, what, what is the point of testing if you're going to be inflexible when it, when it comes to certain cards or ideas? I witnessed this uh, when we were all discussing the proper building of these sealed decks. You know, people would say, you are high, I would never cut that. Or, dude, why is this in your sideboard? Now, I understand that my experiences with particular cards and strategies may differ from others, and that's why I'm willing to listen to see what they have to say. I'm a firm believer that you have to take a, a back-to-school kind of approach to magic when, when preparing for a big event. Now, taking a student role when testing is infinitely better than believing that you're a master. Believe me, I've tried the latter approach and was proven wrong on almost every instance. I think the ultimate trick is learning how to be a student of the game while carrying the confidence of a master. And, you know, I, I find that we put a lot of trust into what the pros are saying due to the fact that you know, they have likely played this format more than we have. So we develop this mentality that we can go ahead and cut to the chase and get on the same page as they are by reading about their own personal results and, and what they think. You know, taking a look at pros and the, the articles that they publish certainly is one way to gain a step in your practice, if the lesson is fully realized. But I also know that they are, in a lot of cases, just making educated guesses dressed up as an absolute. They said it, so it must be right. Well, that's not always the case. Let's just use an example. LSV said recently in one of his Magic TV videos that Boros was 
pretty terrible and not a real deck. Well, obviously that's not the case. Now, he may have indeed thought that this was true due to the fact that with, within his own limited data set, he saw very few times where Boros got the better of him in matches. If he rarely ever lost to Boros, then I can't blame him for thinking that. Based on the recent results, if you were to ask him again, my guess is he'd shrug and say, huh, well, I guess Boros is a deck after all. One of the most important lessons that I've learned in Magic, I learned from Patrick Chapin. He asked this a deceivingly simple question. What is it that your deck wants to do? I think this question was originally applied to constructed deck building, but it also overlaps into this limited set. You know, the context of the deck determined which direction you should be going in and what cards you should choose to play. But what we found was we would break apart the pool and look for cards that are valuable from a synergy perspective, you know, rather than a power perspective. Now, obviously, we would still want to incorporate power into our decks, but not at the expense of cutting the deck's focus or, or, or consistency. In many of our builds, we would often just delegate very powerful cards to our sideboards in favor of cards that were they were much weaker, but held uh, subtle yet synergistic qualities that the deck as a whole would crave. But with this philosophy, we saw success. You know, the decks that had a lot of power but no true synergy fell to the decks that were lighter on power but had more focused and cohesive strategies. Now, this might not sound like a groundbreaking revelation, but considering how the value of particular cards fluctuate based on the kind of deck that you're, you're going to run and, and how one can easily get wide-eyed about that powerful bomb that's staring back at you, we found that it was an extremely important takeaway. So, Friday rolls around and I meet up with one of my best friends, Dave Toops, who flew in from Hawaii to play in this event. You know, a large number of us meet up for breakfast and we have one of the best practice sessions yet. Shortly afterwards, we hit the event site and I get into one of the grinders. Now, I have a really strong deck, but I was only able to pull out a 2-1 losing to Mana Screw in the third game of the third round. You know, it, it happens. You know, the, these last chance qualifiers, the Grand Prix Trials, the 32-mans, the Meat Grinders, whatever you'd like to call them. It's difficult to get too upset about getting eliminated in one of these things. When you're talking about single elimination tournaments, uh, they are particularly brutal. I mean, one loss and you're done. You know, if you're prepared to accept the fact that you have a 1 in 32 chance of winning three buys, then mentally it's easier to accept a loss. It was decent practice, but in general, I don't recommend playing in these things. You could have the best sealed deck out of everyone in the tournament, but you have one hiccup, and it's adios, senor. I did have one friend win a grinder, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get back to him in a moment. Later that Friday evening, we went to a place called Texas de Brazil, which was an exceptional Rodizio-style Brazilian steakhouse. The company was great, the mojitos were insanity. I didn't get too carried away as I didn't need to be playing cards with a hangover during the main event. Now, Saturday saw 841 competitors sit down and duke it out, and among them was a man we know as Paul Neon Cheon. So here's the news. Paul leaves Fantasy Island and lands in the City of Angels. A couple months ago, he makes a flirtatious comment on Facebook about possibly going out to Denver for the Grand Prix. Well, Paul hasn't played in a major event for well over a year. He flies out to Denver, he's not in the pro players club due to his pro points falling off, and, and he has exactly two buys to his name from his total rating. So, naturally, he, he drops his name in the Grand Prix trial grinder bucket and 
then proceeds to 5-0 his event and get his third bye. Now, if this wasn't a sign of things to come, I don't know what was. Saturday rolls around and he chooses to post an undefeated XO record. <sighs> Just like riding a bike. He then goes 3-1-2 and two in day two to lock up a top eight berth. Now, for those of you doing the math at home, since returning to Denver, not including buys, the man went 14-1-2. He's not a man. He's a machine. He can't be stopped. He can't be reasoned with. He has traveled through time from the future with the intent of destroying us all. Paul Cheon is the story, ladies and gentlemen. He is the genuine article. You know, I've... I've played this game for a long, long time, and I've seen a ton of amazing players. And don't go telling Paul I said this, because the last thing I need is Paul giving me grief. You know, I, I got a rep to protect, you know? But Cheon is, in my humble opinion, the best player that has ever played this game. You know, the guy is the Terminator. Point blank, period, end of list. It's a bold statement, sure, and you know, and people can argue about it until they're blue in the face. It's not going to change my mind. Yeah, he did get eliminated in the top eight, but the damage was already done. His mark was already made. And now we're left to speculate on his return to the pro scene. You know, he may go out to Nagoya. He may not. It's tough to say. But I can tell you this. If he does make the decision to return, all bets are off. All presses will be stopped, and the game will get a serious shot in the arm by a player who just understands how to turn the cards. Alright, so let me get back to day one. You know, I received a seal pool that screamed green-black. You know, it contained Go for the Throat, Two Spread the Sickness, Slice and Twain, Tumble Magnet, Thrun the Last Troll, Glissa, Argentum Armor, Mere Battlesphere, Thopter Assembly. It was just an insane pool. And I built it wrong. You know, the pool also included some good red, including Burn the Impure and Horde Smelter Dragon, and I decided to get greedy by splashing red for those spells instead of just going for consistency and synergy. You know, the lesson that I had learned over the past few days for some reason had been forgotten and I got all wide-eyed about playing with a good removal spell and a big bad dragon. Although I admit the deck may have been misbuilt to a degree, I wouldn't say it was the solitary reason why I underperformed. And to be fair, the red splash never really hurt me so much as it annoyed me. I cited it out a, a few games in favor of some lower-costed green-black spells. But as I do a rewind retrospect, overall my opponents just straight up drew answers to my bombs, and in general just drew better than me. I ended up 3-3 three and three on the day, picking up my third loss in the sixth round, and like that, I dropped and flipped the switch from competitor to bird. You know, the great thing about having a robust local magic community while hosting a Grand Prix in your own backyard is the fact that there's just so many people that you know that are in the mix against some of the best in the world. But to be completely honest with you, this was an event that I would have loved to just watch and not really play in. You know, from my perspective, I thought of it as my guys versus their guys. 
And all day long I found myself saying, How are you doing, man? Or did you get there? There were a ton of bad beats, to be sure, but there were also a lot of great stories, along with some local players making a name for themselves, locking in their first ever day two. For those that aren't from Colorado, just bear with me as I have to give up some dap and some recognition to the local samurais I know that made day two. Starting off, we have Phil Kuhn, the great Phil Kuhn. Michael Lee, young guy, up-and-comer. Chad Juarez, whom I've always thought would break out at any given moment. Then we have Zivi Epstein. I still can't get over how cool of a name Zivi is. You know, with a name like Zivi, you're going to go places. We have Matt Heineke, yet another very unique last name. And Daniel Braggadocious, arguably the best player in the state when he wants to be. Jason Shickley, coming out of retirement, one of the best players the state has ever seen. Rob Cole, another Magic retiree who scored a ninth place finish overall. See, so moving down the list, we got Tucker Foster, master of the Coronitas. Conley Woods, I'm too sexy for this sports coat, Conley Woods. Shiloh Hertz, yet another up-and-comer and recent Star City Games 5K Top 8 competitor. There's Travis Spiro, another Star City Games 5K Top 8 competitor. You know, I used to think that this guy was all about the vintage and the legacy, and those were his formats. Uh, but he's proven to me that he's an all-around player, and that's as good as they come. Let's see, Sam Gard. Uh, this guy tends to fly under the radar at times, but he's not fooling me. This guy's got plenty of game. Then we have Frankie, Frankie, Frankie Gradiska. Here's a guy who never flies under the radar. You know, when Frankie isn't getting DQ'd from pre-releases or dropping F-bombs around old ladies, he's chalking up big wins. And of course, we've got Brandon Montoya. Brandon is probably one of Colorado's better players, and it annoys me how I can never seem to beat this guy. You know, he either always has a better deck than me, or when I have the better deck, he'll always draw that one outer that destroys my deck. One of these days, I just want to challenge him to a coin flipping contest just to see if somehow he wins 10 out of 10 flips. It wouldn't shock me if it did. And then, of course, Josh Knapper, winner of the Denver Star City 5K and teammate. You know, I've known Josh for years, and he has always been a good player. But right now, I think he might be as good as I've ever seen him. And the scary thing is, he's only getting better. Now, I should probably mention that Eric Whedon and Rick Chong made Day 2 as well. You know, technically, they are California guys, but they've lived here before. You know, coming into Denver, Eric... Paul Chion and Rick, they really did have a bit of a home court advantage. You know, Rick had a fantastic showing, placing 15th overall, which qualifies him for Nagoya. Rick being one of Paul's best friends, I'm hoping that he'll have enough influence and clout to talk Paul into going out to Nagoya with him. You know, worst case scenario, Rick told me that he's a lock for going out to Japan, so I'm going to be looking for him to make a deep run at the next Pro Tour. Alright, so I'm sensing some of you are anxious to hear some stories from the strip club. Well, your wish is my command. With day one in the books, we had a lot of people at the event site sitting on the outside. You know, the players that made day two, they wanted nothing more than to just go home and go to sleep before another big day of competition. Which, you know, is completely understandable, although I would have gained an infinite amount of respect for those souls that would have come out with us despite making day two. 
you know, some others who, who didn't make day two, they simply wanted to go home and go to sleep. What a bunch of pussies. However, we did have a small force of hardcore soldiers that were more than willing to venture out into the unknown, to face our fears and desires. Included in this bunch was, of course, my buddy Dave, who started the Grand Prix with three buys and then proceeded to drop rounds four, five, and six. Yuck. My buddy Jay, who lost game three in the final round of day one, and a win would have sent him into day two. And then we have playboy Matt Musassafras. Er, Matt Matchsticks. His name is way too long and too difficult to say, which pisses all of us off, so we just, we just call him the Mouth. And when you take into account my own 500 performance, needless to say, we were all hungry and pissed off. And the only way to remedy that was with food and strippers. After a spot of Mongolian barbecue for dinner, we make our way to the penthouse club for dessert. The music was bumping, the girls were hot, the drinks were flowing. We make our way to the table, and before I can blink, a girl lands in my lap and says, I'm Alexia, and I have a wager for you. Intrigued, I, I listen to her proposal. She states that her sister also works at this establishment. She's wearing a black dress, and I have three guesses as to who she is. If I guess correctly, I get a free lap dance. Well then, as luck would have it, I just happen to be a gambling man. I have been known to take a wager from time to time. <laughs> a magic player who takes a bet. Fancy that. But here's the thing. I know that this is a con. By entering into this proposal, no matter what, I'm going upstairs with her for a lap dance. Period. It's just a matter of how much it's going to cost. Which on her part is actually kind of genius if you think about it. Because most dancers don't operate with any kind of mathematical or, or tactical savvy. They just go up to you and ask if you want a lap dance, and a large percentage of the time, the guy's just going to shoot her down. Why is that? Number one reason is probably intimidation. Number two might be because it's just a normal reaction to pressure. You know, regular guys, they just want to go in, they want to chill, they want to check out the talent before initiating talks or negotiations for a private dance. But what she did was very, very clever. She proposed a way in which we, the customer, could win something. And who wouldn't want to win a free lap dance? Overall, she's increasing her EV by offering this prop. If you use all your guesses, she's getting money. And if by chance you guess right, you know what? She's probably still getting money because once she actually gets you up there and into the private dance area, you gotta figure you're gonna parlay a two for the price of one on the dance. This proposal, at minimum, gets the guy thinking instead of straight up saying, you know what, no thanks, maybe later. Now the problem with this equation is that she met her match. Most drunk guys will just blow up all their guesses in a minute. But I, on the other hand, am a high-functioning drunk. I had two stout margaritas and not one but two 32-ounce Red Bull and vodkas coursing through my veins. But I was alert and focused. I accepted her challenge. The game is afoot. What she didn't expect was that I was going to quiz her and initiate a process of elimination. I asked her questions that she was more than willing to answer for me. Like, is your sister younger or older than you? And she told me that she was 24 years old and that her sister was 9 years older than her. I asked her if she had dyed her hair and she said yes, which was smart because that means that she could have any color of hair. 
but a trained eye can determine if the hair was natural or treated. So what have we learned? I'm looking for a 33-year-old woman wearing a black dress with dyed hair. The good news was that there were only two dancers wearing black dresses. One looked to be about 21, so we could eliminate her, and another looked like she might have been in her 30s, maybe. Now, if I guess her and I get it wrong, then I can safely eliminate the dancers, and I still have two guesses left. So I did. I guessed wrong, but now I move on to taking inventory of the waitresses. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's a lot of work for a free lap dance, but never underestimate the power of free in a strip club. Now, just as I think I have a couple of strong possibilities lined up, a waitress comes to our table, dyed jet black hair, black dress, tattoos that are very similar to Alexia's, looks to be about in her 30s, looks Alexia dead in the eyes, and says, Sweetie, I didn't get your text. <laughs> it, it was hard, but I tried to play the fool, and I said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that one was your sister. As Bob Ross from The Joy of Painting would say, that was just a happy little accident. I probably would have figured it out eventually, and in the end, I gave her the two-for-one so that she at least got some money out of it. So the moral of the story, kids, when a stripper offers you a bet for a lap dance and asks you a question with three chances to get it right, take your time to figure it out. Sometimes, the answer will present itself. Important life lesson right there. In the meantime, my buddy Dave is getting a neck massage from a girl he can't really see. He's got his back to her. And little did he know that he was being charged $10 a song for this low-rate rubdown. You know, at one point, this pseudo-masseuse turns away, and I mouth the words to Dave, How much are you planning to spend on that? And it was then that that look of dreadful awareness crossed his face. Seventeen songs later, the massage ended. You do the math on that one. Yet another life lesson. Get the rate, young man. Get the rate. Goodness gracious. So Sunday rolls up quickly and I'm carrying with me a sizable hangover. Why not play magic, right? The day two competitors are doing the damn thing. There's a large extended PTQ going on. So I decide to get in one of these Star City Games draft opens. Uh, these are all right. I mean, you're gambling. You're, you're gambling on the chance of going 3-0. and And if you don't, you just bought three $10 booster packs. I win the first round and pick up a draw in the second round, which is about as good as a loss. I mean, if you don't mind gambling, and if you're confident that you can 3-0 a draft, you could do worse getting in one of these. Now, the original plan for Sunday kind of fell through. Chris Otwell and I were, were going to do some live coverage for MTG Cast, but Chris elected to play in the PTQ, and to be honest with you, I, I was really happy hanging out with my, my buddy Dave, who I knew was flying back to Hawaii, and I wasn't going to see him for at least another year. That, and logistically, the coverage area that Star City Games provided for us was, uh, was kind of poopy. I mean, we weren't close to any of the action, and for the players, it's out of sight, out of mind. We would have been too close to the GGS live tables, and our voices, especially my own, would have interfered with their broadcast. In terms of podcasting, I really want people to come over and either listen to us or even join us. I mean, they can't do that if we're hidden. I guess we should just be thankful that Star City Games gave us some kind of space and didn't charge us for it. 
I'm sure that's in the works with them, though. Overall, this weekend was a blast. And you know, these days, I, I just enjoy these kind of events, if for no other reason than to just meet really cool and interesting cats. Magic is just an excuse we use, you know? I mean, in fact, the most fun I had this weekend was uh, drinking margaritas and casually playing some less-than-sober pack wars with my buddy Dave. You know, when it comes to magic, I'm slowly learning that it doesn't take something as large as a 30k to get in on some good times. But I'd be lying to you if I said that I couldn't wait for the next one. Alright, time for a little playground news and community calendar update brought to you by jinsplayground.com and frontragemagic.com. Want to read some cool magic blogs and see what's shaking with little old me? Be sure and hit up jinsplayground.com. And if you live in or around Colorado's Front Range, you play magic and you want to know where the party's at, be sure to check out www.frontrangemagic.com for all the details. On Saturday, March 12th at the Ramada Inn, the PTQ for Pro Tour Nagoya will be going down. Format is extended, $25 entry. Registration will open at 9 a.m. Play will begin at 10 a.m. I will be doing some feature match coverage for this event, along with Chris Otwell via MTG Cast Live. You'll be able to see it all on FrontRangeMagic.com. This should be a really fun event. I'm looking forward to it. Now, speaking of Chris, he shipped me some very interesting news. It seems that Jin's Playground gets, on average, a thousand listens per show. You know, I always thought that my show would have gotten around 100 or so listens, and I was just basing that off the number of followers that I have on Playground's Facebook fan page. But a thousand? Guys, I'm just, I'm just humbled. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, that's just amazing. You guys kick the most ass. Don't let anyone tell you different. And speaking of the Facebook fan page, Jin's Playground now has 165 followers. We're not going to stop until we have one million. Alright, I'd be happy with 170. I mean, who am I kidding? But if you're on Facebook, go join my personal army of Viking ninjas right this very moment. If you know someone who you think might dig the show, just remember, sharing is caring. We had an insane amount of comments and love from the last show. Michael, Alex Lee, Matt Reynolds, Nectar of the Gods, Magus Bear, Peter Casby from Scrubland, Crazy Night 27, Ting... Big Jim, Kuribo, Wills, Bruce from Windborne Musings, Fry Guy, Omnisron, God, I butcher that every time I say it, I have no idea how to say that, man. And Rune, you all left comments from the last show, and as a reward, I give each of you two planets to rule over as you see fit. The only condition to this is, is that you at some point have to go to war against one another, like in Dune. Because who wants two peaceful planets, right? That's kind of boring. So, if you hate the show, you love the show, perhaps you're confused and are not sure if you love or hate the show, or maybe you are 100% certain that you both love and hate the show, or maybe that you just have a question, or maybe you just want to say, what's up? Leave a comment in the comments section below the show notes, or if you're shy, you can ship me an email directly at ginsplayground at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Alright, time to call this show a wrap, but before I put the cork in the bottle, I got a tiny little parting shot. I have been asked to be a co-host on a little podcast, you may have heard of it, Monday Night Magic. Now, Before Jin's Playground ever existed, the very first magic podcast I ever listened to was Monday Night Magic. And to this day, it's still one of my favorite casts. Tom and the gang just do a great show, and I think it would be a kick in the head to hop on as a co-host from time to time. 
My work schedule is in direct conflict with when they record the show, but that's not to say that there will come a time, maybe even soon, when you may get an unexpected taste of DJ In. Uh, let's move on to shouts. Shout goes out to fellow podcaster Rob Martin, who manned the GGS Live coverage table along with Rashad this past weekend. And for those of you who haven't met him before, that's, that's just a big dude right there. But I'm positive that they say the same thing about me when they see me. I thought he did a really good job, and something tells me that we haven't seen the last of Rob behind the broadcasting table. I was a bit disappointed that he didn't wear the Bruce Lee banana jumpsuit when he was on the air, but... Uh, oh well. Maybe next time. I also got to meet up with Greg from Four Spikes. Really, really cool guy. For a while, I've flirted with the idea of one day podcasting with them and jumping into the Four Spikes hot tub. Those bubbles are coming up from the hot tub jets. Trust me. And last but certainly not least, a shout goes out to a guy by the name of Luke Saunier who writes a column for Man Nation called Cast Through Time. His weekly installment covers magic-related podcasts for the current week. This is a great article and a great idea. I'd wager that the majority of the podcasting community enjoys and appreciates this kind of wrap-up coverage. I know that I do. Keep it up, compadre. All right, sickos. That's all I got. We'll see each and every one of you on the flip. This is the Jin signing off saying, win as if you're used to it, and lose as if you enjoyed it for a change. Peace.